63. Uh, Let us read tonight the word of our living God from Psalm 13. I will read the superscript because if you did not know that is part of the Holy Scriptures. So hear with me Psalm 13. To the choir master, a Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Please be seated. One of the reasons why I had to start with the superscript, a psalm of David, it's because it's important to understand that the psalm was in fact attributed to David. And so as we begin tonight's study, there are two things I want to preface before we get into the main portion of the text. And the first question I want to ask is, did David have cause to suffer? David, as we know, was the king of the United Kingdom of Israel, according to the Old Testament history. Uh, we know that David was a, a signed child. He was chosen by Samuel, by the Lord, excuse me, anointed by Samuel. He was the heir and the continuation of the, uh, the covenant, the seed of, uh, uh, the, the covenant of grace, the seed that was to bring Jesus Christ, we know from the genealogies of the New Testament. We know that David also uh, reigned greatly. He reigned the United Kingdom. His kingdom expanded. He had great wealth. And finally, we know that David also prepared the way for his son Solomon to build a temple. One of David's final acts was to purchase the land, the threshing floor upon which the ark would rest. So why does David say, how long, O Lord, will you hide from me? Will you keep your face from me? David was also a man. He was, he was plagued by sin. David both suffered from sin done to him and sin that was his own cause. At a young age, David was chased by Saul relentlessly to fear of his own life. Uh, David, we know, suffered uh, isolation and loneliness. Uh, David had the great sin of Bathsheba. David even sent a man to his own death, if you did not know that, Uriah. Yet David repented to Nathan. Yet David still sought the favor of the Lord. And David continued to minister to his people, perhaps flawed, but still a man of God. And so when you, when you read this, there were, there were two sides of it. There's both the side of the man, David, who's a godly man, who is the priest, prophet, and king of the people of Israel. And there's also David, the great sinner. And are we all not all great sinners in this room? Are we all not deserving of a great redeemer to save us from our great sin? Charles Spurgeon, in his exposition of this, of this chapter, he wrote that this particular psalm, especially the first verse, is, is a psalm that David must have sung and recounted countless times throughout his whole life. Countless and as you examine your own life tonight, ask yourself the same question. How long, O oh Lord, how long will I endure my sin? How long would those sin against me? And so for tonight's uh, time together in the passage, there are three points that I want to bring up to you tonight. First is, let us look at David's petition. 
because it all starts a petition towards God. It all asks with us engaging our God who is relational, our God who wants us in his bosom, who has called us to him. And for those who, are, uh, who, who know Jesus Christ, you have that assurity. You have that longing that has been abated, uh, that, that uh, uh, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself. So we'll look at the petition that David has. The second part is we'll, um, uh, we'll look at the prayer that David has as well. So he both petitions God and he prays to God. And finally, we'll look at the promise. And as we engage this text tonight, there are, there, there's another aspect I want you to think about as well. David is engaging with our triune God. You see the Trinity in this passage. And I, with God's grace, I will show you the Trinity in full form in this passage. David addresses both Jesus Christ as salvation, the Lord, the Father himself, and also the presence, which is seen in the Spirit. So let's talk about the petition of David. If you will with me, look again at uh, verse 1, and, uh, and I'll read it again. It, uh, uh, Psalm 13, verse 1 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In our Bibles, the concept of the face of God appears more than 5,000 times. When I came across that fact, I, I just, you can't overlook the fact that the face of God is a prominent feature of the Old Testament. It's a prominent feature of the New Testament. Paul himself says that the light of the glory of God shone in the face of Jesus Christ. So we have to address and ask the question, what is the face of God that David is talking about here? And so I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that when David writes, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? What essentially David is saying is, how long, O Lord, will your presence be kept from me? And so consider then, how do we experience the presence of the Lord? It is not in God's physical manifestation, for it would be impossible for the Lord God himself to stand on this unredeemed earth without us being destroyed. We know that from the Old Testament. That's why there was a mountain. That's why the people were separated from the mountain. So the presence of the Lord is, in fact, his spirit. We know that David is aware of the triune God. All you have to do is read Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, the very same psalm that Jesus Christ defended against the Sanhedrin and was crucified for. So we begin there by saying, how long, O Lord? And throughout countless times in David's life, he would ask the same question. How long, O Lord, must Saul chase me and kill me? How long, O Lord, must my enemies rise up against me? But he also prayed, how long, O Lord, must I dwell on my own sin? How long, O Lord, will your presence be kept from me? And then also there's another concept there, which is, uh, will you forget me forever? Uh, I, I, folks, I don't know how to say this, but being myself here, the Lord doesn't forget anything. The Lord knows every inch and every square of our souls. He knows every inch and corner of the universe. Adam and Eve could not hide from the Lord. He doesn't forget. But what David is there is saying is, help me get more knowledge of you. Don't forget me. Help me to remember you. And so what David is saying there, and he begins this exposition, is, is he's saying, how long, O Lord, do you forget me? How long, O Lord, uh, will you uh, hide your face? How long will your presence be kept from me? Perhaps some of you tonight here, and I've gotten to know the Redeemer family, it's no doubt been a tough year. We've had loss. We've had the deaths of precious loved ones in our congregation. Uh, Donna, Donna Bangma just a few weeks ago. We've had others before that, Don Toon. Uh, and we have to ask ourselves, how long, O Lord, must we deal and, and, uh, and mourn the loss of these loved ones, of these saints? 
Perhaps also we ask ourselves, how long, O Lord, must I deal with loneliness? How long, O Lord, until I find my, my helper mate? Or perhaps you ask yourself, how long, O Lord, must I endure a wrathful boss or work or a situation at home? How long must I endure uh, those who persecute me for my faith? How long, O Lord? And as we, as, we, as, we, uh, as, as we consider this, I want to go back to something I just said, which is our Lord invites us to engage with him. He invites us to ask that question, how long? Over five dozen times in the Bible, you see the saints asking our living God, how long, O Lord? You see, we have a God that wants us to engage with him. We have a God who wants us to say, I love you. What are your needs? How can I help you? And when we're suffering, we ought to ask, how long, O Lord, must I suffer? How long, O Lord, must I deal with this pain and this misery? How long, O Lord, must I deal with this infirmity? Perhaps the answer to that question, uh, for, for the kids in the room, if you ask your parents a question, you say, Daddy, Daddy, I want a milkshake. Every parent in here knows the answer to that question. There's three possible answers, and you can mouth it out. The first answer is yes. The second answer is no. And the third answer is what? Maybe later. That's right. So perhaps our Father in heaven, he engages with us as little kids because of our faith, our childlike faith. And when we say, how long, O Lord, must I endure with this injustice? Perhaps his answer would be, a little while longer. A little while longer. We have more for you to learn. And as we see here, that the beautiful thing of the gospel, the beautiful thing is that the gospel does not end in Psalm 13.1. This is not the end of our Bibles that the story continues. So let's look at Psalm 13 too. Paul, uh, 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 David writes, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So how long, O Lord, must I take counsel? My own counsel. There's an interesting concept here that I want to bring up, and that is the word counsel, perhaps in our modern thinking, we think of how long must I, you know, must I come up with my own ideas? How long must I, you know, be the one in the room with the bright ideas and all the solutions and the answers to everything? There's, there's a bit of a complex nuance here to that word counsel that I want to maybe bring to the forefront. The word counsel there can also be best rendered rebellion. And you can think about if you're not in the counsel of God, you are in rebellion to, to God. You are in rebellion to him. In your sin, you're in rebellion to him. And if you're in rebellion to, to the Lord, what are you? You're his enemy. But by God's grace, we have been made whole through Jesus Christ. That covenant of grace in the garden that should have smited Adam and Eve upon their sin did what? Gave them a way out, the seed that was to come. And so how long must I take counsel in my soul? How long must I rebel in my soul and how long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? That sorrow is a self-inflicted sorrow. That sorrow is a sorrow that exists because you do not rest in the counsel of the Lord. You do not seek his face. And unfortunately, his presence is away from you. Paul reminds us that if you grieve the Holy Spirit, he will flee from you in the New Testament. And the Lord does the same thing in the Old Testament. Time and time again, when Israel would disobey, the presence of the Lord would flee from them. Perhaps also, when you think about the story of the exiles in the 70 years enduring Babylon, they would ask, how long, O Lord, till we return? And they return, they would say, how long, O Lord, till the temple is back up to full strength? How long, O Lord, till they accept my offerings? What did God say? I don't care about the offerings. I care about your heart. 
God always gives an answer. How long, O Lord? So when we discuss the petition of David to the Lord, we discuss the petition of David here. It comes from a state of broken heart. It comes from a state of just absolute helplessness. In one particular commentary, uh, they described the, uh, the statement there, how long, O Lord, as a, um, as a uh, I might, it's escaping at the moment, but the idea was that it was an utter depth and, and darkness to the statement, and I, and I don't agree. I don't agree that for us to say this means that we have completely abandoned God as much as he has not abandoned us. We may feel abandoned by the Lord in our own sins, and our own actions, but the Lord remains true, the Lord remains steadfast, as we will see later on in the Psalms. So the petition is done. David has completed his petition. And we move now to verse 3 of this really small psalm. And let's read and see what his prayer is. Uh, David's prayer starts and he says in verse 3, Consider and answer me, O my Lord. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. That statement, consider and answer me, is a statement that is found throughout the Old Testament when, when, uh, when the Lord is engaging with David. When David when, uh, uh, in, in 2 Chronicles, uh, at the end of his life, uh, David is given three choices for the error that he makes of the census. And the Lord says, consider and answer which of these punishments the people of Israel should get. It's also the same one that the prophet Gad uses with David. So when you, say, when, when you read the phrase, consider and answer me, be mindful that this is Paul's, uh, I keep saying Paul, <laughs> this is David's way of saying, uh, Lord, I want to engage with you. I want to have prayer. I want, I want to bring to you my petition. Consider, Lord, and answer me. And the Lord will answer, yes, no, or maybe later, my child. But he says here, consider and answer me, O my Lord. Light up my eyes. And uh, Paul references this in Ephesians 1, uh, 18, where uh, the knowledge of Jesus may light up our eyes. Uh, the concept here of eyes is one of knowledge. And David says, if I don't have that knowledge, if my eyes are not enlightened uh, by the glory of you and who you are, then I will suffer the sleep, uh, the sleep of the sleep of death. Again, a reference there to, uh, uh, well, death away from the Lord, eternal, eternal judgment. Verse 4, if you read with me there, it says, Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now, here's a question. Who is David's enemy? I think in one answer you could say it was the countless number of people who he made enemies with throughout his life. It could have been the Jebusites, the Moabites, all the ites of the, of the region, the Philistines, uh, Saul, uh, Saul's men, Absalom. Well, I submit to you in this particular psalm, David is talking about the ultimate enemy, Satan himself. Think about it. Satan, uh, Paul here is lamenting how Satan might prevail over him. In this verse, he says, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Let me ask you all a question. Is there any moment in your life when you think Satan has won? I will tell you, in my short 49 years of being on this earth, there have definitely been moments in my life I've thought Satan has won. And as the saying goes, Satan may have won the battle, but he's lost the war. He knows he's defeated. James 4, 7, James reminds his church and he says, um, he says, uh, uh, run to God so that the devil may flee. Trust in the Lord so that the devil uh, uh, rebuked Satan so that he may flee. And so the enemy knows that he's powerless, but that can't stop the enemy from accusing you. But those accusations, they don't land on you. 
You have been robed with a robe of righteousness. You have been declared righteous. But here David still says, I don't want my enemy to say I have prevailed over him. This is the pain that we feel in this lifetime. This is the pain that we feel when we are separated from our loved ones. This is the pain we feel when we're in the depths of our sin or when those who sin against us. So perhaps temporarily you may feel that the devil, uh, Satan himself, has prevailed over you. But brothers and sisters, he has not won the war. Jesus himself is a victor. Satan is already defeated. All he's trying to do is shake your faith. And there David says, Rejoice, lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken, because his faith is shaken. So we have the petition, we have the prayer, and now comes the promise. The promise there is found in verse 5, and it starts with, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. We have gotten to the main point of today's message. We are to rejoice in our salvation. Who is our salvation? Our salvation is Jesus Christ. For David, it would have been the future Messiah. It would have been the expectation of the hope of who the Redeemer who has come to redeem me. As Job Job says, the Redeemer who lives in heaven, who I will see with my own eyes. It's the same Redeemer that David believed in as well. Um, I was speaking to one of of the brothers here this morning. We were talking about that transition uh, in verse 5, the but. And uh, uh, usually when you think about that grammatically, you think about negation. And you say, well, there's a but there, Tony, and so therefore we ought to ignore everything between verses 1 and 4. I'm not looking at him right now. But uh, I submit to you, there's actually something a little bit better than thinking about negation here. Think about a, um, uh, a connection. Perhaps yet is a better word. And it's supported in the original language. Because you see, the points that we ought to bring out is verses 1, verses 3, and verses 5. Because in verse 1, if we go back, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Consider and answer me, O Lord. Yet I have trusted in your steadfast love. So for me, I look at this and I say, yes, we will suffer in this life. We will suffer walking in the path of Christ. We just read it today from 1 Peter 4. We did not work it out that way, but it worked out that God's word is true and, and, uh, and supports, supports itself. But as you can see there in verse 5, that David himself has trusted in the steadfastness of God's love. So what is the nature of the steadfastness? Let me spend a few minutes talking about this. The steadfastness of God's love is God's loyalty to his people. That is why God can say, I, you are my people with whom I have delivered from, from Egypt. That is why the Lord can say that I will remain steadfast. And that's why we can say that the Lord is a long-suffering Lord because of his steadfast love. Because we are not capable of maintaining that love, yet the Lord God himself maintains that love with us. So is that not covenantal language when you think about it? That the Lord maintains his loyalty towards us and we are bound by that loyalty with nothing that we can do or offer or bring to the table? That, that is what it means to have steadfast love. And there, and there David turns and he says, my heart, my inner being, my heart, all that I am shall rejoice in your salvation. And that salvation is Jesus Christ himself. So now that we have the promise, the promise is Jesus Christ. The promise is, is, is salvation. David is called to rejoice in his salvation. And what does he do? Let's look there in verse 6. He says, I will sing to the Lord. I will worship because he has dealt bountifully with me. Recall the times in Scripture 
when the saints are persecuted, how do they react? Job lost everything he had, his family, his wealth, his livelihood. He uh, became afflicted with disease. And what did the scripture says that he did shortly after? He got on his knees and he worshiped God. David lost his firstborn son and he lamented. And after the, the time of lamenting was over, what does the scripture says he did? He got on his knees and he worshiped God. Brothers and sisters, I also point you to Revelation 6, the saints under the great lamb on the throne who are called, who are persecuted by the world. They show up under the lamb and they ask the lamb, the great lamb, Jesus Christ, and say, how long, O Lord, must we wait until we are avenged, until justice arrives? And what, what, what did they do? They were given white robes and they worshiped God and they waited patiently. That is the call of those who the Lord has called to him. That is a call of those whom the Lord has adopted as sons and heirs of the promise. And that promise is a steadfastness, the love that God gives in the salvation of Jesus Christ. As I begin to close, I want to share perhaps one point of application, and it comes from Scripture itself and how we see this play out. Now you'll have to go with me a little bit. There's a little bit of an imagination, and that's okay because uh, Sinclair Ferguson himself says that we ought to use our imagination sometimes when we look at Scripture. But I think, you'll, I think you'll go with me here. If you'll recall in, in uh, Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in Philippia, and they get persecuted. I'm paraphrasing here for the sake of time. They get persecuted uh, by the, uh, the shopkeepers, they get persecuted by the rulers, and they get thrown in jail. They were beaten with an inch of their life by rods and staffs by the people, and they get thrown in jail. And what is the first thing that they do when they get to jail? They worship and they sing to the Lord. We all know what happens next. A great earthquake occurs. Uh, the doors fly open. The, uh, the warden comes in. He's going to take his life. And all of the prisoners who were worshiping the Lord said, Stop! What are you doing? And what do we read after that? We read that the jailer himself was converted. And we read in the scriptures there that it says in Acts 16 that he rejoiced when he and his family were baptized. But that word rejoice in 16 is the same word of rejoice that's found in Psalm here, which is a rejoicing in the salvation of Jesus Christ. And that's what I leave with you tonight as, as you ponder Psalm 13. Yes, it is a psalm of suffering. It is a psalm of lamentation. And dare I say, it, it is a song of complaint. Not my favorite definition of the psalm, but we'll leave it as it is. The Lord, the Lord, fortunately for us, hears our complaints. And what does he do? He gives us a promise. And that promise is Jesus Christ himself, the Lord of life, the giver of mercies. And so with that in mind, um, I'd like to uh, conclude the three points here. And that is, the first point is when you suffer, and you suffer for the Lord, suffer well knowing that everything is sovereign, everything is under the sovereignty of the Lord. The Lord has ordained all. The second point is, don't miss the opportunity in your suffering to honor God. Don't miss the opportunity of your suffering, just like Paul and Silas did, to worship God so that others can see you, just like we read tonight, so that when you don't participate in what others are doing, they can look at you strangely. That is such a badge of honor to be different in that way. And the third point is to always remember that you have uh, uh, the promise given in Jesus Christ, as Paul writes, that we are partakers of the covenant of grace. We are partakers of the covenant of promise that is now opened to the whole, uh, to the whole world, both the Greek and the Jew, that we have access to that.
And finally, for those of you tonight who perhaps you don't call Jesus Christ your Lord, perhaps my words seem a bit foreign, I, I pray that you, that you go to the Lord and you say, how long, O oh Lord, must I suffer before I know who you are? How long, O oh Lord, until I know you? How long, O oh Lord, until I get faith? May the Lord give you that faith. May he give you that grace to believe in the cross. May he give you that faith to believe in the promise that David here also found in verse 5, which is a steadfastness of the Lord. So with that in mind, um, I want to conclude with a prayer. I'm looking for Dan here. Where's Dan? There you are. <laughs> Sorry. I'll conclude with a prayer, and uh, we will sing and uh, finish off our time together. Father of mercies, you have given us this grace, Lord, this grace and faith to believe in you. You have given us, Lord, uh, both the afflictions and the way out. Father, like David, I, uh, I also pray, Lord, how long must we endure this world until you come back? For, Lord, you know the appointed day and the hour of when your son will return and he will rule on this earth and the new heavens and new earth will be manifested. Father, I pray for those tonight who are struggling with affliction. Lord, I pray for those tonight who are struggling with impossible situations that they can trust in your counsel, Lord, that they can go to you and not in their own counsel. Father, likewise, I pray that our church can come around these folks who are dealing with affliction, that we can love them as you have loved us. Father, I pray for every person here tonight that their week ahead may be blessed. And Father, finally, I am grateful, Lord, and we are all grateful, Lord, that Jesus Christ is the source of our salvation. May we rejoice in that salvation every moment of our life with every heartbeat that we have and be reminded, Lord, that we are yours and we are proud to call ourselves the sons of God. Be with us tonight. In your name we pray. Amen.